Help us to tell the truth about ourselves, that in doing so we might find ourselves to be grounded in your love, O God. Amen. I realize that this might sound a little bit strange, but I love the doctrine of sin. Now, that doesn't mean that's the only teaching of the church that I find to be attractive and helpful. I'm also a big fan of grace and salvation, but I really appreciate the Christian understanding of sin. A lot of people, especially those in the Episcopal Church, they have an aversion to the doctrine of sin. They say it's just so negative and oppressive and condescending, but not me. I love the doctrine of sin. One theologian has said that the doctrine of sin is the only empirically verifiable belief in all of Christian faith. Meaning, take one look at humanity, either as individuals or as a society, and there is plenty of evidence that points to the fact that there is something wrong with us. And that's all sin means. Being a sinner does not mean that any of us are a wretched creature who is not worthy of dignity, mercy, or respect. Sin is simply a way of describing the reality that none of us are perfect and that perfection is not possible. This doesn't mean that we need to give in to self-loathing because of our physiology. No human is capable of flight in the way that a bird is. It just means that by our very nature, we are limited from flying. Well, sin says the same thing about living a mistake-free life. Sin is the way that the church has traditionally talked about the fact that we are all broken and imperfect. And when our rough and broken edges rub up against one another, there is friction because of the limits of our bodies and minds, the trauma of our past experiences, our fears about the future, we all make mistakes. And it's not just that we make mistakes, it's that we cannot not make mistakes. We act on faulty assumptions. We're not always in touch with our subconsciousness, which leads to flawed thoughts and actions. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt while shaking our fingers at others saying, you should have known better. This is simply what it means to be human. And the shorthand way of saying all of this is that we are sinners. And I love the fact that I am a sinner. Because being a sinner means that perfection is not something that I should expect out of myself nor is it something that I should allow others to expect out of me, nor is it a burden that I should put on my spouse, children, co-workers, neighbors, or anyone else. The fact that you have faults does not make you a failure. The reality that I have made mistakes does not take away my dignity or belovedness. The truth that other people let us down and are not perfect, does not make them evil. On the contrary, because we are all sinners, we ought to treat one another with compassion, understanding, and mercy, not judgment, disgust, or shock. Speaking personally, the doctrine of sin 
has been an incredibly healing and liberating thing for me. For one, it helps me to not carry around that burden and idol of perfection. And it's also helped me to be so much more tender with others. Because when people do things to annoy me or wrong me, instead of jumping all over them, I just tell myself, there's no need to be surprised or offended. A sinner sinned. What else did you expect? Because in truth, the doctrine of sin is a doctrine full of grace. And the person who helped me to see that sin is full of grace is the author and theologian David Zoll, who is the author of a book called Low Anthropology. Anthropology, it's not necessarily something you study in college, it's just the fancy word for describing our theory of human nature. In essence, what you think about humanity, broadly speaking, is your anthropology. And there are two ends of the spectrum. You can have a high anthropology or a low anthropology. A high anthropology means that you think that human beings are capable of perfection or holiness, or at least getting pretty close to it. This view means that we can hold one another to high standards, and when we make mistakes, they are because of deliberate and avoidable things that should be met with punitive consequences. And there's a lot of reasons why someone might have a high anthropology. Maybe they are a perfectionist or an optimist, or maybe they believe in the idea of human progress, that each generation gets a little bit better than the previous one, meaning that one day we will get to utopia. That's the idea put forth in the, in the series, Star Trek, right? That one day humanity will be united, we will eliminate poverty, wars will cease, and we will all live in harmony, which means we will finally have time to fly around the galaxy. Contrasting this is low anthropology, which I've already laid out. It's what you would find in a novel like Animal Farm or Brave New World. A low anthropology is theologically and practically speaking more realistic. Those of us who subscribe to a low anthropology it doesn't mean that we have low standards. It's just that our expectations are rooted in experience more than potential. Now some will look at this perspective and say, well that's just fatalistic, that's so pessimistic. To which someone with a low anthropology would say, well I'm not at all surprised that you don't fully understand this. But you don't have to take my word for it. Consider the sociologist Brene Brown, who says that being truthful about our limits and our vulnerability is the birthplace of love. Or how about the attorney and civil rights advocate Brian Stevenson, who says our shared vulnerability and imperfection nurtures and sustains our capacity for compassion. Our brokenness is the source of our common humanity. He goes on to say that what motivates him to do the holy and challenging work that he does is his sense of finitude. Because he is honest about his brokenness, he is not scared when he finds brokenness in society. Plus, let's be honest, no one likes to be treated like there's something wrong with them when they make an error. 
Low anthropology allows us to greet our sins as opportunities for reconciliation, for growth, for restoration, as opposed to situations for feeling ashamed, inadequate, or berated. And then there's Jesus, who tells us healthy people don't need a physician, but sick people do. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. And then later Jesus adds, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus is our good shepherd, our great physician, who comes to heal our sin-sick souls. But a high anthropology would reject the medicine and the doctor and say, No thanks, I'm good on my own. The traditional psalm of Ash Wednesday is Psalm 51, which we will hear chanted as ashes are imposed on us. It says, Wash me through and through from my wickedness, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. The psalmist prays and trusts that God can and will make in us clean hearts. As we said in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins from us. In the litany for Ash Wednesday that we will pray, we will confess and name all sorts of things that we have done but should not have done, and things that we have not done but would have done if we were more closely walking the way of love. The ashes that we will bear on our foreheads this day are a further sign of our low anthropology. Not only do the ashes show us our destination, as they signify that we will all return to the dust in death, but the ashes also remind us of our origin. The beginning of Scripture tells us that humanity was created from the dust of the earth. We are earthlings, mud creatures made of dust and dirt. That's not an insult. It's just an honest assessment of what we are. God created us from the dirt of the earth, which was called good when it was made. And indeed, we bear the divine image. We are God's beloved children, but we were not created to be perfect, to know all things or to be able to do all things. We are dust and to dust we shall return. But as we return to the dust, we are reshaped and made whole, just as the potter shapes the clay. By the mercy and cross of Jesus, we are forgiven and set aright on the way of love. Now, this does not mean that we will not continue to sin, but being forgiven, we recognize our sin for what it is, a part of what it means to be a human being not a sign that we are horrible or irredeemable people. Sin gives us an occasion to practice the craft of love by confessing that we have made mistakes, by seeking reconciliation with those who we have harmed, and by trusting that God's mercy will make us whole. Grace is far more definitive than any of our errors or sins. As the prayer for Ash Wednesday tells us, it is by lamenting our sins that we are made ready to receive God's infinite goodness and mercy. 
And this is why the practice of confession is so healthy and life-giving. If you've never gone to individual confession, I cannot recommend it highly enough. When we tweak our back, we go see a massage therapist or a chiropractor. If our tooth hurts, we go to the dentist. If we break a bone, we go to the hospital. Well, in the same way, when we are tired of carrying the burden of our sins and want to make a new start of things, we go to a priest and tell the truth, receiving assurance of God's forgiveness. Starting next Wednesday and every Wednesday in Lent, I will be in our chapel from 4.30 to 5 p.m. You don't need an appointment, just come by with a humble and contrite heart. And if Wednesday afternoons don't work for you, let me know. We'll find a time that does work. Confession is a way of embracing the doctrine of sin and seeing in our brokenness the love that restores all things. Put most simply, sin is a lack of love. And for many reasons, we all fall short of love. Sometimes we're tired, scared, wounded, jealous, selfish, or stressed out. Sometimes, try as we might, we don't even know how to love. We are all finite and limited creatures. Though God fills us all with love, the love seeps out through the cracks of our brokenness. But that does not make us useless pottery. It just means that we need to be honest about our cracks and trust that God's grace and forgiveness are strong enough to repair what is broken. And though so often we are lacking in love, God is love and pours an abundant and unconditional love into each of us day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. Lent is the season in which we name our brokenness so that we might also rejoice that even in the midst of our sin, God is making all things well.